C.S. Lewis said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive unhealthy interest in them. They, the devils, themselves are equally pleased by both errors. Now, when I say today that we're going to talk about the spirit world or anything related to angels and demons or a battle between good and evil, some people are on one end of the spectrum and they become overly excited. They're people who believe that every leaf that ever falls from a tree must be something to do with what God's trying to say. Or that every person around them who has any sort of problem whatsoever must be possessed or attacked by a demon. Then there's the other end of the spectrum. You say anything about talking about the spiritual world, you say anything about talking about angels and demons or a battle between good and evil, and that end of the spectrum cringes. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to believe that it's real. It just seems weird to them. So why are we trying to have a conversation from Scripture about this topic? Here's what we do know. While the Bible doesn't give every single detail about the spiritual world, the Bible does instruct and encourage us to be aware that we are in a spiritual war. Everyone is a part of this spiritual war in some way, whether it is realized or not. And our role as Jesus followers is to be aware and alert, not fearful, not concerned, but to be aware and alert and to respond to the instruction that God has given us in His Word. i got to tell you that there's no way possible for me to have all of this conversation in one moment. So this series is really a one multi-week sermon in and of itself. We'll endeavor to answer questions like today, how did we get here? How did we get to the place of there being a devil? How did we get to a place of there being evil spirits or demonic powers? Next week we'll talk more about how does this play out in our world today. And within the next couple of weeks we'll talk about how we live and fight as Jesus followers engaged in this spiritual war. For starters today, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to call your attention to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 15 and 16 and talking through a little bit of that today for us to lay the foundation for this conversation. How did we get here? How did we come to a place where there's this enemy this devil and his organized power against us, against Jesus' followers, against God. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him, through Jesus, and for Him. Now, here's what we learned from just a couple of verses of Scripture right off the bat. Number one, Jesus 
When we read about and study his earthly ministry, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that begin the New Testament, when we study Jesus, we recognize that he is the image of God. Another way to say that is he is the exact representation of God the Father. For those who might would say that God is some distant deity who created the world and then walked away or that it's impossible to really know God, I would say to you if we want to know who God is and we want to know his heart, all we have to do is open the pages of scripture and study the son Jesus himself and we see the father in him, Jesus, God in the flesh. Secondly, Paul teaches us in this passage of Scripture in his writing that Jesus is over all things. And part of this is that the the church at Colossae that Paul was writing to, they were beginning to get pulled away by false teaching, and their focus wasn't on Jesus as strong as it should be. So Paul was saying to them, he's over all things. He is the creator of all things, and he used this term, Jesus being the firstborn. Now, when we think of firstborn, we think of our oldest child, the first one to be born in a family. But in the Old Testament, the word firstborn carries the meaning of being first in position, supreme. David was the first of the Davidic kingdom or the Davidic line of kings in the Old Testament, but he was not the firstborn son of his own family. The point that Paul is trying to make is that Jesus is over all things. He was not a created being, but rather creation came through Jesus. In fact, Paul reiterates that seven different times, seven different phrases in six verses to say Jesus is over everything. In Jesus, Scripture teaches us, all things were created. In fact, if you go back and study the creation narrative, you will find that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all three present and active in the creation process. The Trinity is the term we often use. God represented in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present at creation. So Jesus wasn't a created being. Jesus didn't come later in creation God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit were all there and all active in the creative process. Now notice what was created. Paul lays this out in Colossians chapter 1. The first thing were things in heaven. What are in heaven? Angels. Angels are in heaven. In fact, in another place in Philippians chapter 2, Paul would write that Jesus was given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, of things on the earth, and of things under the earth. So, we notice first that things in heaven were created, and that's important for our study today. We notice that things on earth were created, and then he describes it in a different way. You've got the visible part of creation... But then there are also invisible parts of creation. So Paul spoke of a realm that is not seen but is full of activity, and the invisible is so full of activity it affects the visible. Now when you study Colossians chapter 1, or when you read Ephesians chapter 6 in particular, the latter part of that chapter, historically scholars have said that people have, have used This passage in Ephesians 6 to describe a structure or a system 
or an organization or hierarchy, if you will, of angelic beings that were created by God. There's some order to it. Much like in a corporation, you have an organizational chart. You have a CEO. You have uh, the president. You have vice presidents. You have directors. You have so on and so forth. There's evidence in Scripture that there is some form of order and organization to these beings that God created. It speaks to God being very intentional in what He does. And that's a good thing for us to remember in our lives. God doesn't just let things happen, or God doesn't just think things by happenstance or coincidence. God is very intentional in what He does in our lives. So there seems to be some order and organization to angelic beings. For example, in Luke chapter 1, we find a rare occasion where an angel named Gabriel is mentioned by name and he visited Mary to foretell the birth of Jesus. In Daniel chapter 10 in the Old Testament, we find an angel named Michael who was described as one of the chief princes in reference to a battle. In Revelation 12, we find Michael's name again. And even in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul is writing about this idea of the rapture of the church where Jesus' followers go to be with Jesus in heaven... The Scripture says, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So there are clearly some organization, there's clearly some organization to these beings that have been created. Now that does not mean that angels are equal to Jesus. Angels should not be Worshipped. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews emphasizes that again, that angels are below Jesus. They're created beings, not the creator. The creation is not greater than the creator. The creator has the authority and the power to determine how things operate, and there may be power and there may be ability and they may be used in the kingdom of God, but angels or angelic beings or beings in general are designed to operate within the plan of the creator, not to be worshipped. Now there's one more phrase in this passage, these couple of verses that I want to draw out in the beginning of this conversation. Notice towards the end of verse 16, the Bible says that all things have been created through Jesus and for Him. For Him. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11, Revelation 4 is a picture of the throne room of God. And there are angelic beings there that are worshiping God on a regular basis. And Scripture says that they cry out, Thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. There's evidence in Scripture in Revelation 4 that when Jesus created all these things, when everything was created through Him, they were created for Him, His preference, His desires, and to bring worship unto God. Now, many people in our world have set out to answer the question, what is the purpose of this life? And the answer is really simple, more simple than maybe people realize. We were created with the purpose of worshiping God. We were created to bring honor to God. 
The angels, the cherubs, the cherubims, they were all created beings designed to worship God, the creator of all things, to live in a way, now we as created beings, to live in a way that honors the creator himself. We're to live that out every day. Worship is not just what we did a few minutes ago. Worship is not just singing a song or playing an instrument or all of the harmonies and melodies that can go with music. Worship is so much more than just singing a song. We were created to worship God in our homes, in our marriages, and in our parenting, and in the decisions we make as families. We can worship God in our workplaces, in our decisions, and day-to-day tasks, and even in what we do, in the practices we live out when no one is looking. That is how we worship God. In our relationships, and in our interactions, we worship God with the way we mingle with other people, with our motives, and our words, and our attitudes, and our actions. We give worship to God. That's why Paul would write in another place in 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And two chapters later from our initial text this morning, Colossians chapter 3, he wrote this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. To understand how we got to where we are today with good and evil and God and the devil, we must first understand that beings were created to bring worship and honor and glory to God. So I pause today to ask us, Are our lives, the way we live and what we do and what we say and what we think and how we interact and how we respond, are we living a lifestyle of worship to God? I'm not asking you if you're just in church this morning. I'm not asking you if you just know how to sing the gospel and Christian songs. I'm asking you, do you understand that it's more, relationship with God is more than just checking this religious box on Sunday morning. It's about Jesus changing every area of our lives and in everything we do and in everything we think and in everything we say and in the ways that we act and interact. It's all about bringing glory to God. And I gotta tell you, If you've been in relationship with God, especially if you've walked with God now for any length of time, if you've been in relationship with God, if you've seen God for really who he is and you've experienced him changing your life and you've experienced the goodness of God, this is what you want to do. You want to worship God. You want to lift him up. You want to bring glory to his name because you realize today that where you are in life, you would never be where you are without the work of God. You want to work. We, we sang it earlier this morning. I want to be close to you. Why? Because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And I want to keep feeding at the table of Jesus. I want to keep knowing him and growing in him. And I want to lift him up with everything that I do. I have this desire to want to honor God and to please God. And to say thank you for all he's done. And in some way in the way I live to lift him up so somebody else might even follow him. I want to honor God. I want to praise God. Give God praise. 
We were created to worship God. And if you've, if you've recognized who God is and you know how much He's done in your life, you want to worship God. You want to praise Him. Have you been set free? Have you been forgiven? Have you experienced grace and mercy? Have you experienced love like no one on earth could ever offer? Have you known the blessings and the goodness of God? Then you want to worship God. You want to cry out in gratefulness. You want to be close to Him and to praise His name. Worship is foundational. The beings being created to worship God... Job chapter 38, verse 7, picking back up, God's created these angelic beings. And Job 38, verse 7, indicates to us that these angels, these, these beings, angelic beings, were created before the time of the creation of the earth. Now, we know in Genesis, in the creation narrative, that when God had finished creating earth and man, everything was good. It was perfect it was pure, it was without the stain of sin, and without, therefore, the consequences of sin, like death, ultimately. We know that everything was good. In fact, it's repeated in the Genesis narrative over and over again, and God saw that it was good, repeatedly. So everything was good. Somewhere between the creation accounts of Genesis 1 and 2, and the point of Genesis chapter 3, with the fall of man, when man is disobedient to God and brought sin and rebellion into the world, one of God's very created angelic beings, some have said possibly even the lead, the lead angel, the highest rank of angel, came to a wrong conclusion about worship to God. Here's a description we find in Scripture about who we commonly now call Satan or the devil, but prior to his rebellion against God. Ezekiel chapter 28, picking up in verse 12, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Listen to this description. You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. I'm not going to read all of those. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. Mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Now, Ezekiel is being used by God to speak to an actual king. But God knew that behind that king, the pride of that king was a greater evil power, the devil or Satan as we know him. And before he was engaged in rebellion towards God, the words of God reveal that Satan was an angelic being who was dazzling and magnificent, beautiful in his ways. But the decision that he made would lead to his downfall, figuratively and literally. How did he get to this point of rebelling against God rather than worshiping God? And we get another picture in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. You said in your heart, notice this, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of, the, of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. Listen to this last phrase. 
I will make myself like the Most High. What ultimately happened in the heart of this beautiful angelic being that caused him to come to this place of rebelling against God? And the simple answer is pride. Pride. Remember, all the angelic beings were created by God. But at this point, here's this great angel of God declaring, I don't want to worship God anymore, and I don't want to lead other people to worship God anymore. I want to be worshipped myself. And he became, became confident in his own beauty and his own wisdom. Notice, notice how repetitive the pride is in this statement. And you can notice it in Isaiah chapter 14 by the repet, repetition of the word I. I I, 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 ultimately ending with, I will make myself like the Most High. It's a caution for us today. There is no room for pride in the life of a Jesus follower. There's no room for pride in the life of the Jesus follower. Only God is worthy of worship. Only God deserves praise. Pride will actually keep someone from worshiping God. Pride focuses on I rather than on God. Look what I can do. Look what I've accomplished. Look how smart I am. Look, I can choose my own path. I can choose my own truth. I'm good enough without Jesus. And if we're prideful in ourselves and not humble before God, we're actually resisting the greatest need we have, and that is for God to be at work in our lives. Now, most people that I've ever been around don't go around saying prideful things. Look at me, look at who I am, look at what I've done. I'm sure there are some in the world, but you don't hear that as much. But it's evidenced in the way that we live and in the way that we respond and in our thought life sometimes. If you sit back and criticize other people and exalt yourself mentally to this place of being better than another person, that's pride. If you sit back and say, I don't need to learn anything, I've been doing this a long time. If you get to a place where you begin to accept credit for what's happening in your life rather than acknowledging the work of God in your life, even if you go far enough to start trying to do things on your own and lean to your own wisdom and understanding rather than seeking God's help, it's pride. One of my favorite verses of Scripture, two verses really, come from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise, verse 7, in your own eyes. It would be prideful for us to get to this place of thinking that we've got it figured out, of thinking we know what decisions to make, of thinking... And so if we go prayerless, and we're not seeking God for that help and that wisdom. We don't want that pride to remain in our hearts. Now, I'm not calling you the devil, and I'm not implying that you're acting like the devil, but I think that if we truly, honestly can recognize any of ourselves in this, we would pause and pray something like this, Lord, if there's any pride, if there's any arrogance, if there's any self-sufficiency in me, Show me and help me to live differently. If, if I long to be praised by people, help me instead to point all praise to you. If I come off prideful towards others, help me instead to walk in humility. We need Jesus. 
We need to learn. We need to grow in Jesus. We need the help of others. So we're taught and encouraged as Jesus followers to live a life of humility over pride. It comes back to the foundation. Worship belongs to God, not to us. We're nothing without Jesus. Now, here we have an angelic being who no longer wants to worship God, but wants to exalt himself. And the Bible teaches us that when he made that decision, he ultimately determined what his role in heaven would be, and that would be that he would no longer be in heaven. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 37, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings." You may remember that we've, we've sung a song together before, and the first line of the song is actually a quote of Jesus himself in Luke chapter 10. I saw Satan fall like lightning. It's a description of when the devil didn't fall from heaven, but instead God kicked him out of heaven. And there's a lot of belief through the years by scholars that Revelation chapter 12 ties into this fall of Satan And that when he fell, he caused and took with him a third of the angels in rebellion as well. Now, a lot of times you get questions like, well, how many angels was that? The truth is we don't know an exact number. What we do know in Scripture is that there must be thousands upon thousands of angels. Because on multiple occasions, Jesus could have called angels to interfere or to work in what was going on. In fact, when Jesus was arrested, Scripture teaches us that he could have called a legion of angels. And we know by context of that day, that was several thousand angels just within that one moment. So we know there are thousands upon thousands. The next question becomes, okay, if, if this was what Satan did, commonly referred to as Lucifer at that time, he falls from heaven, he takes a third of the angels with him, what, what's happening now? What are they doing now? And the truth is that it's best to assume that these are now the evil spirits, the demonic powers, and the demons that are at work in our world. That when they rebelled against God, they are now, maybe even still with organization and hierarchy and structure, they are now involved in this agenda against God and against God's people. We could say it like this, these have literally become hell's angels. And they are actively at work in our world today. You don't necessarily see their work Because again, there is this invisible realm that we've referenced in Scripture, but yet that work in the invisible realm often does show up in our visible world. We'll talk more about that next week. What we do know is that the enemy of God, who is ultimately your enemy as well if you are a Jesus follower, is at work in our world today, and so are the evil spirits and demonic powers and demons. Scripture teaches us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, speaking of Satan, that he is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 31, that he is the prince 
of this world. And in Luke 4, you may remember that when the enemy tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, part of the temptation was, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you these kingdoms. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is that Scripture gives us indication that the enemy is greatly at work in our world today. We see some of that, but I don't know that we fully realize just how great that work can be sometimes. Now, the point that I want us to land on today before we spend some time in prayer is that there is a real enemy who rebelled against God and who is against anything that God would want to do, even in you. Jesus himself said that the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Later, Peter would write that he roams like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This idea that he's on the hunt, he's on the prowl, he's looking for prey. I want us to recognize there's a real enemy, there's a real spiritual war. And also throughout this conversation, especially by the end of it when we're done, I also want you to recognize you shouldn't be dreading that there's going to be a devil around every corner. I'll take us back to where we started today. There are two errors. One error is to be so interested to an unhealthy extreme and giving the devil too much credit. Not everything is demonic. Not everything is the devil. Sometimes we just make stupid choices. We, we can't always say, the devil made me do it. I mean, it's the same problem that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Well, God, it's that woman's fault you gave me. And then Eve said, well, no, but it's this serpent. Where did he come from? It's always blank. But the reality is we are flawed. We have issues sometimes. It's not always the devil making somebody do something. There is a real enemy. There is a real spiritual battle. But we also should be not afraid. We should be alert, not afraid of what's going on. So the goal in this is to establish this is how we got to where we are today. Next week, we'll talk more about what this looks like in our world today. How does the enemy operate? What does he usually like to try to do? How is he coming against you or how will he come against people? And then the following week or weeks, we will talk more about what God has given us to live in the victory over the enemy. To not be given to those things, but to live in the victory Jesus has already won. So, we have a real enemy. We're engaged in a spiritual war. They are at work in this world, but we do not have to be afraid. We can be alert. We can be aware, but we don't have to be afraid. For today, I want us to respond in the couple of main thoughts that we've shared. Today, we've talked about pride. And how pride can actually limit us or keep us from worshiping God who actually deserves all of our worship. Pride can get us focused on ourselves and what we can do or what we've done. And so maybe today you recognize there could be some pride. We could 
We could list many more ways that pride shows up in our lives, but the point being, if you recognize there could be any area of pride, then you come humbly before God and you say, God, I I don't want to walk in pride. I don't want to walk in arrogance. I don't want to walk in self-sufficiency, but I'm turned away from that. Lord, I'm, I'm dependent. I'm leaning on you. Or maybe today you don't even recognize that there's some pride in your life. Maybe, maybe you're, you're going on about and doing life and God's wanting to kind of just reveal an area in your life where you're trying to do your own thing or you're trying to trust your own judgment and your own wisdom or you think that you're better than someone else or whatever the case. Maybe today God wants to reveal that to you. So if you'll come humbly, and I've said this many times, but I really truly believe this. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 are really a prayer that we can pray every day. Search me, O God, and know my heart. What's really going on in me? Is there an area in my life that's not pleasing to you, Lord? Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me on the path everlasting. So is there any pride issue in your life? And then the second thought that we shared was the first one in the message was about worshiping God. And so we're saying today, God, how can I honor you and worship you in all of my life, not just in these few moments at church? How can, I, how can I live as you want me to live and honor you? What does that look like in my home? What does that look like in my workplace? What does it look like with family or friends or in my neighborhood? Lord, how do I live a life that brings worship to you? More than just singing a song, Lord, I want to think, I want to speak, I want to do, I want to act, I want to have the the right things in my life that, Lord, as, as I live, I'm bringing worship to you. And overall, in this conversation as we start today, I want us to pray that when it comes to the conversation about the spiritual world and the spiritual battle, I want us to pray, God, open our eyes to be aware and to be alert and to not give space to the enemy in our lives. But Lord, also help me to recognize the victory that's already been won in Jesus and to live in that and to walk that way and to not be given to the things of the devil. Lots to chew on over these next few weeks. I'd love for you to journey with me as we do that. Would you stand up with me today? I'm going to ask our prayer team members that are available in this service, would you come and make yourself available to either side of the auditorium? Just a moment, I'm going to pray over you, and uh, I'm going to encourage you if you've got a need and you just need somebody to agree with you and pray with you today, there's someone who will do that. If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, you're saying, wait a minute, I'm recognizing there, there is a good and an evil, there is a right and a wrong And uh, I don't know what side I fall on today. And you want to talk to someone, what does it mean to follow Jesus? There are people who will talk with you and help you with that as well. Would you pray with me today? Lord, we worship you today. Earlier in this service, we said thank you for all that you've done, Jesus. And we continue to say thank you. Because you're not only the one that saves us, You're also the one that keeps us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for the power and the peace that we can have in you. And Lord, as we open up Scripture and we begin to talk through what's 
really going on, the greater battle, the invisible war, the, the, the spiritual battles that are taking place that sometimes maybe we don't even realize it's a spiritual thing more than a physical thing. Lord, help us to fully land in Scripture, the truth of Your Word, to know what is right and what is wrong, to know how we can recognize these things and then how we can live in the victory You've already won. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid. Help us, Lord, not to be uh, in an unhealthy way attentive to these things, but, Lord, to just simply be alert and aware and led of the Holy Spirit and clinging to truth. And, Lord, that we we will fight victoriously in this battle. I pray, O God, that we not err on either extreme, that we not give too little or too much attention, but that we will simply land in the truth of Scripture and recognize the battle. I pray, O Lord, if there's any pride in us today, any self-sufficiency, any attitude in which we have exalted ourselves or other things or other priorities ahead of you, Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to walk in humility before you, recognizing we need you, recognizing we need you every day and that to be fruitful, we must be dwelling in you, O God. I pray, God, with our lives, we will worship you. That there won't be a separation or a disconnect between uh, what happens, Lord, when we gather as this large group and what happens in our daily lives. That, Lord, we will recognize that we can worship you in everything that we do. We can honor you in everything that we do. And I pray as we see you and as we know you, that we will grow in our desire to honor you, O God. Lord, overall, through this conversation, I pray that we will will recognize, we will see, we will grow, we will learn, and we will walk in the way you have for us. We honor you today, God. And we thank you for your power at work in us. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless and keep this people. And you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance, your favor, ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace. In any way that the enemy would try to come against, would you bring clarity in that and would you help us O Lord in this journey and would you push back the enemy Lord that we might walk continuously in victory I pray O God that you will go before us go with us as you promised be our rear guard keep us safe and well and whole and help us to represent Jesus well to our world we thank you for it today meet every need calm every heart and mind May we walk in your peace, led of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.